This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is January Patreon episode. We're back. We're back. New year, new patron episodes. And are we okay? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. 2023. Check-in. Mental health check. Has started out full of shit, if mm-hmm. I do say so myself. There is so much awful, awful things going on. So, mm-hmm. we thought we would talk about a few of them. Kind of catch you up if you don't already know. But if you're like us, you probably already watched all the shit we watched. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but still. So, do you want to go first since yours is super long? Mine might be long. How long do you think yours is? I have a couple. Okay. Maybe you start out with one, then I'll go, and then you can... Okay. So, obviously, the investigation of the murders at the University of Idaho is on everybody's mind. What? You just made a face. No, I'm like, yes, and... I was almost thinking when we do season three, we need a deep dive into uh, that yeah. for Idaho. For sh- that, because yeah. there's so much, and I am trying to keep up, and I'm. It's hard. It's to. a lot. Yeah. So I'm probably going to leave a ton out because yeah. every single day, that's it's, it's kind of like the Murdoch thing. Yeah. While it's happening, it's just yeah. like what what's going on. But then it's just blowing up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Murdoch thing, isn't he supposed to go to trial this week? I keep seeing stuff on the headlines of him. I think so. Anyways, so uh, December 30th, police arrested Brian Koberger, who was a PhD candidate studying criminology at the Washington State University, at the Washington Washington State University. Uh, DNA from the crime scene connected him to the murders. And how was it matched? Familial DNA from a genealogical website. The probable cause affidavit in the case alleges that Brian was linked to the crime scene with DNA evidence found on a knife sheath that was left behind, cell phone pings, and surveillance videos. He was arrested seven weeks after the murders and charged with four counts of murder and one count of felony burglary for the slayings. I'm sure if you have a pulse and you love true crime, you have undoubtedly seen the 48 Hours special. Uh, They've had a 2020 special. There was an ID special coming up about this. Um, Is It's not out yet? I don't think so. I saw just like a preview of it. Um, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Concalvez, and Madison Mogan were the ones that were horrifically murdered in their home. Brian claims he was shocked himself by the allegations that were brought against him. He's looking forward to being exonerated. Those are his words. Mm. One individual who grew up with him said he was bullied a lot because of his weight and mainly by females. He was quiet and really sweet. And then he really got into his looks. So, other people Hmm. have said he wasn't bullied at all. In fact, that he was sometimes the bully. After he lost all the weight, he had severe anger issues and would often have outbursts. Now, this is all allegedly, these are all people that went to school with him or neighbors that knew him. 
An anonymous college classmate of Brian's recalled him frequently taking contrarian viewpoints in classes and getting into heated arguments with other doctorate students. The classmate said that he seemed to have more disagreements with women. I know this guy. You know this personality. You do. I do. So yeah. many of these guys where, yes, oh, I was yeah. like, yeah. Ugh. Including one incident that led a female doctoral student to storming out of the classroom after accusing him of mansplaining to her. So, sounds like he's just kind of an asshole. Yeah. Know it all, asshole. Right. Yeah. Several months ago, Braun was warned about his interactions with women working and frequenting a bar in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Jordan, one of the owners of Seven Sirens Brewing Company, said, He explained that the bar staff scan IDs of all patrons and that they can add notes that pop up on their internal system. We do this at the hospital if we have a parent that has been, you know, mouthy or argumentative with staff. We'll put a little alert in their chart, like just a warning that, hey, this parent's, you know, kind of been rude with the staff before. Just be aware. So staff put in there, hey, this guy creeps me out. Keep an eye oh on him. Gosh. He'll have two or three beers and then just gets a little too comfortable. Oh. He would often sit at the bar alone, observing and watching other patrons. And he asked female staff and female customers questions about where they lived and who they were at the bar with. And that if women weren't interested in conversations with him, he would get upset with them. He once called a female staffer a bitch when she wouldn't answer any of his questions. So, it's not a good look. Authorities have not revealed if the victims themselves knew him. The suspect's now deleted Instagram account, which was reviewed by People magazine before it was removed, followed the accounts of Morgan, I'm sorry, Mogan, Goncalves, and Kernodal. So he followed those three girls, mm-hmm. but none of the victims followed him back. Two weeks before the students were killed, Brian sent a series of messages to one of the girls in the, in the Instagram-like messenger. An account that authorities believe belonged to him sent a greeting to one of the female victims in late October. He did not get a reply. He sent several more messages to uh, her. Get just move but on. I don't. Get I mean, it. like I have had that happen to me, where somebody will send me, "Hey, how are you? Hey, what are you doing? I have, how's your day going? I have too. How's your day? And you don't respond and you don't answer, but it's nonstop. Like read strangers the room. on Instagram. I'm yes, that, and I'm like, yes, dude. He did um, slide into one of the girls' DMs several times, but she did not respond. The source told people. Basically, it was him just saying, hey, how are you? But he did it again and again and again. Mm. So it just seems like he's kind of setting the scene of being an obsessive person. Oh, yeah. And he can't let it go. He right. can't be rejected. He doesn't and like any, being turned down. And any form of rejection or mm-hmm. anybody that makes it seem like they're not interested in him as far as even the arguing with the student, you know, that mm-hmm. fellow student that's female, he just wants to be right and wants to be. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's gross. Yeah. So BK Norton, a classmate of Brian's at Washington state university who took some of the same courses as him last semester 
described him as intelligent but quiet. He said he was more of a loner in the program and claimed that Brian had made disparaging remarks about the LGBTQ community. I didn't socialize with him because he made those anti-remarks, and I am a queer individual. If he did commit these crimes, Norton said, as a criminology student, I'm sure he knew the charges he would receive. Of course he would. He knew what he was... And you would think he knows better than to leave DNA on something. I feel like it goes to show you that even people who may be intelligent or think they're intelligent, he has an anger issue and stuff like that overpowers knowing you're going to get caught. It's like they don't see that. Right. They think they're invincible. Right. So during his extradition, he seemed really nervous. One source said he was narrating to himself everything that was about to happen. At one point, he was saying something to himself like, I'm fine. This is okay. Like he was reassuring himself that the whole thing wasn't as awful as it really was. Oh my gosh. In a newly unsealed search warrant record, authorities detailed the items that were seized from Brian's residence after he was arrested and charged with the murders. The items from his residence included one disposable black glove, receipts from Walmart and Marshalls, a dust container vacuum, possible hair strands, a fire stick, like the fire TV stick, one possible animal hair strand, one computer tower, an item with dark red spots on it, possibly blood, we don't know, Two pieces of an uncased pillow with a reddish-brown stain on it and mattress covers. The search warrant states no items were seized from his office. And so far, the weapon used in the killing has not been found. There is no motive for the slayings that has been released at this time either. So that's where we are. So how many victims are we at right now? There's there's four. I mean, he just, yeah, he killed those in that house. But it's like at first you thought he this was just random. But mm-hmm. the more that's coming out, the more it's like this was not just a random. Like he had almost been well, clearly stalking them to an yeah. extent. Yeah, cyber stalking. Yeah, at the for sure. Very least, right? Hmm. And um, I did read where two of the girls worked at a restaurant, like a pizza parlor, maybe, and he had been in there a couple times. They don't know if they actually waited on him or had any interaction with him in there, but he had been in there and they did work there. So it's super creepy, the whole thing. And it's just like we were talking, you know, when we recorded yesterday, yeah, about you never know who you're going to piss off or rub the wrong way, even if you're not doing anything at all that is quote unquote mean or negative towards them, someone could just be You never know how they're gonna perceive right, something. Right. Even if you're like, oh sorry, I have a boyfriend. Right. They still might That's kill still, you. Yeah. I mean it's, it's terrifying. It's very scary. Very yeah. scary. So that's all the updates I have on that so far. But holy cow. I mean there's like I said, every day there's something new. So were they raped before they were no, murdered? There was no sexual assault. Mm. No sexual assault. It's like he just went in, killed them all, and left. Yeah, it's like he really, he hates women, obviously. But he killed a man, too. Oh. There was one man, one of the, the girl and her boyfriend were in one bed, and Mm. he killed them. And the other two girls who were, like, besties from, like, elementary school, 
high school, all the things went to college together and they went to sleep in the same bed. You know, they'd been yeah. out drinking and yeah. having fun and got some food and climbed into bed with each other and fell asleep and he killed both of them too. So it's, it just seems very, mm-hmm. anyways, terrible. So. Wow. Well, mine isn't current in the headlines, if that makes sense, but there's a new three episode series out. Brand new on ID called The Price of Glee. Have you heard about it or watched it or anything? I saw it on after you told me about Mm -hmm. it, but I haven't seen it or anything. So in a nutshell, it covers the eight people involved in the show Glee who have died. And some people say the show was cursed. And then other people are saying they're criticizing that idea because they think calling it a curse cheapens all of the deaths. So most of the cast and a lot of the fans of Glee are not a fan of the docuseries, and many of the cast members have publicly spoken out against it. Did you watch Glee? Yes. I never have seen one episode. I didn't watch it all. I think there were six seasons. I I think there were six seasons, and I think I watched three, and I liked it. It's just yeah. one of those shows I, it, when something's kind of repetitive to me, I stop it. Right. But... I'm not going to lie, I don't think it's worth watching, but to each their own, because none of the actual cast members are on it. Oh, so who's on it? It's just people talking well, about it? Well, some people that worked on the set of Glee, oh, okay. some people's family members, it's just... People me, of the... Sh- like, act, family people members People that have died, that. like a couple oh, of them. Oh. It's, And I don't think there's a curse. <laughs> I for think the record, I do. For the I record, I just think it's a big cast. It ran for several years, and stuff was bound to happen. I'm, I feel like if you examined any show, you're gonna there's a lot of shit. Honestly, well, you know, they said there was a poltergeist curse. Yeah, yeah. Several people uh-huh. were died linking to that. So I'm gonna talk about the deaths of Glee because I honestly didn't know so many people from the show died. Not, well, I mean, I just know of. One, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure several listeners probably haven't watched Glee before like you. And I liked it. So in a nutshell, Glee is an American musical comedy drama that aired on the Fox Network in the U.S. from May of 2009 to March of 2015. It was created by Ryan Murphy, oddly enough, Brian Falchuk, and Ian Brennan. It it centers on the Glee Club called The New Directions at William McKinley High School. Not a real school. It's basically teens dealing with social issues, relationships, teamwork, you know, the teenage type of show. This sounds awful, Lacey. (laughs) No, it's, you know, I don't know. It's like Degrassi, but with music. What year? 2009 to 2015. I watched it in the very beginning. I was 28. Like, I was not watching Glee. I was watching Nip Tuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a lot of teen shows, behind their se- behind the scenes, there was a lot of drama and some darkness. Corey Monteith was born on May 11, 1982, and was a Canadian actor and musician. He played Finn Hudson on Glee. So this character, Finn, started out as the quarterback of the high school football team, who was a stereotypical jock, forced to join the Glee club, and then he discovers he loves it, <laughs> you oh, know, as they boy. do. So over the course of the series, Finn's primary relationship is with the Glee Club's main singer, Rachel. 
So Rachel is played by the actress Leah Michelle. Oh, I heard all about her on yes. how she acted on Glee. Yes. Allegedly. Well, allegedly in real life, she's a pill. Allegedly. 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 You've never met her. I've never met her, but I've heard she's difficult to work with. Well, in reality, Corey's adolescence was much more complicated than balancing football and glee club. He dealt with substance abuse from the age of 13. Oh, my. Yeah, I didn't know all this. And he left school when he was 16 after attending 16 different schools, including alternative programs for troubled teens. So along with his drug and alcohol dependency, he began stealing money from family and friends to pay for his vices. Sorry, y'all, it's raining pretty hard if you can hear it. But his family and friends had an intervention for him, and he entered drug rehab at the age of 19. He eventually received his high school diploma in 2011 from an alternative school he attended in his youth in Victoria. Okay, so... He got sober and got back on his feet, and he started his acting career in Vancouver, Canada. He was cast in a lot of small roles, but eventually got cast as Finn on Glee. Corey didn't have any experience with singing or dancing, but his audition tape captured Finn's, quote, naive, but not stupid, sweetness. Corey and Leah were cast as love interests on the show, but in early 2012, it was reported that they were dating in real life. That happens a lot. It seems yeah. Like. And well, it seemed like he had the perfect life, but he was still struggling with addiction. On March 31st, 2013, he admitted himself into a facility for substance abuse after an emergency intervention on the set of Glee. So because of this, he was written out of the final two episodes on the fourth season but he was assured by all of the producers and everything he would still have his job. They just wanted to focus on him getting treatment. So he went and he completed his treatment on April 26, 2013. And he and Leah stayed together through all of this. She did say he was a very private person, though. They didn't live together, but Corey spent a lot of time at Leah's apartment in L.A. A few months later... On July 13, 2013, Corey was scheduled to check out of the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel in Vancouver, but he never did. A hotel staff member entered his room that day to discover his lifeless body. He was 31 years old at this time. After an autopsy, it was revealed that he died from a mixed drug toxicity consisting of heroin and alcohol. Oh my lord. Yeah. And it appeared that his death had been accidental. He also had codeine and morphine in his system and was found with a spoon with drug residue, a used hypodermic needle, and two empty bottles of champagne. Oh, I, it's hard for, I'm just, when I hear heroin, I'm like, oh my God, that is, I mean, not that any drug is great or whatever, but I'm just like, I guess it's because I'm terrified of needles. Yeah. And thinking that someone would go through that to get high, I'm just like, oh, my God. No. I can't even, like, put my head there. It's awful. Mm -hmm. The coroner wrote that Corey had experienced intermittent periods of drug abuse and abstinence throughout his life, and that after a period of cessation from opioid drug use, a previously tolerated drug concentration level may have become toxic and fatal. So his stay in rehab only months before his death 
and his attempt to stay off drugs resulted in, of course, a lower tolerance. And it's like he resumed right at what he was at, and mm, it's, it's awful. Yeah, these are... Apparently, Leah found out about Corey's death before his mother, <gasps> and this is terrible. As soon as she found out, she called his mother and screamed into the phone asking if the news was true. His mother had no idea what she was talking about. Oh. Can you imagine that being the way you find out? Girl. There's no good way. But There's no some, good way. But your that- son's girlfriend. Tell me this. And you're like, calm down. What are you talking about? Mm-mm-mm. And even his close friends thought he was sober and doing well before his overdose. So it was a shock. The showrunners postponed the fifth season, which was supposed to begin production that same month. The season five premiere aired on October 10th, 2013, and it was a tribute to Corey and focused on the death of his character, Finn. So he was killed off the show. Later that year, there was another incident involving a cast member that same year. So Mark Salling, who was born on August 17th, 1982 in Dallas, played the character Noah Puckerman, but he was known on the show as Puck. Puck considered himself to be a badass, and he was kind of the bad guy, basically. He was known for being a bully. He pushed other kids into dumpsters, would throw slushies in people's faces. He hated the Glee Club, but he joined it to get closer to a girl who was pregnant with his baby. Shocker, he learned that he had a passion for singing. You know, it's a a teen drama. (laughs) So Mark also dated another cast member from Glee, Naya Rivera who I'll talk about later. They broke up in 2010, and he started dating Playboy model DJ Roxanne Dawn. They broke up a year later, and this relationship revealed a darker side of Mark. In January of 2013, Roxanne accused him of committing sexual battery on March 25, 2011, by having unprotected sex without knowledge that it was unprotected. As in, he lied, which you cannot do. You can't do that. Like, you can't press charges on someone for that. They might get away with it, but legally, that is a crime. Right. He denied the charges, and then he filed a countersuit for the defamation of character. So he's saying, I didn't do it, and also, how dare you for trying to make me look bad. Make it look like I'm a bad guy, yeah. And in March of 2015... They settled it out of court, and Mark agreed to pay her $2.7 bucks. Holy shit. Yeah. So Glee's making some money. That's not the last of his issues, though. That's just the beginning. On December 29th, 2015, Mark was arrested at his L.A. home on suspicion of possessing several thousand photos and videos depicting child pornography. <sighs> There's a new word for it now, child sexual... I can't think of the word because it's like ch- pornography implies they're getting paid for it and it's a business. Like children can't be. Yes. You know what I'm trying right. to say. I know what you mean. Yeah. But following a tip off from the police from one of his ex-girlfriends, I'm not sure if it was Roxanne or not, but he was released on $20,000 bail, but a search pursuant to a warrant found more than 50,000 images of child pornography downloaded between April and December of 2015 on his computer and USB flash drives. That's horrible. Ugh, and it's it 
I remember when this happened and it's just shocking to know any human does that, much less someone you see on like a feel-good teen drama. Right. You know what I mean? Right. On May 27th, 2016, he was charged with receiving and possessing child pornography. On September 30th, 2017, he pleaded guilty to possession of child pornography, which was expected to result in him being sentenced to four to seven years in jail. Like, oh gosh. In addition to registering as a sex offender and entering a treatment program. Still doesn't seem long enough to me, but... The guilty plea was formalized on December 18th, 2017, and his hearing date was set for March 7th, 2018. But on January 20th, Mark hanged himself, and his body was found six hours after he was reported missing. This was ruled a suicide. That's awful. That's awful that what he did, first of all. Mm-hmm. But it's awful when things like this happen and people just kill themselves like they just they're like i'm no i'm just i'm out it's like i'm yeah it's the most recent tragedy surrounding the class the cast of glee is the death of naya rivera and i can't believe it's almost been three years because that's crazy i know i feel like this news was just out Mm -hmm. so naya was born on january 12th 1987 in valencia california She began her career as a child actress and model after a series of recurring television roles and guest spots as a teenager. Then she got her breakthrough role in in 2009 as lesbian cheerleader Santana Lopez on Glee. (laughs) Yes. Are we covering all the bases here now? All the bases. (laughs) Yeah. And she had a girlfriend on the Glee Club that was also a cheerleader. It's It's a whole thing. But anyway, she dated Matt. In the past, and they had a rocky relationship. After their breakup and after Mark was arrested, she expressed that she was not totally shocked, but it still took her by surprise. I guess if he's a dick to her, she's yeah. like, well, I mean, I don't know. She dated the actor Ryan Dorsey, who I didn't know, but I looked him up. He was on one of the vampire shows, Maybe Diaries, and he's currently on the show Yellowstone. They broke up but later rekindled their relationship and ended, and ended up getting married on July 19th, 2014. Then in 2015, they welcomed their first child, son, Josie Hollis. Things didn't end up working out between them. They were on again, off again, and finalized their divorce in 2018, but did agree to share joint custody of Josie. In 2020, she began dating retired soccer player Jermaine Jones. On July 8, 2020, Naya was declared a missing person after her four-year-old son Josie was found alone in Naya's rented boat at Lake Peru, a reservoir in the Los, Los Padres National Forest in Ventura County, California. That's horrifying. I remember, yeah. Yes. And she had been visiting this lake for years. So she wasn't new to the area, and she was also considered a strong swimmer. The search for both Naya and Josie had begun at 4 p.m., which would have been about three hours after they left the dock when their rental was over and they had not returned. Josie was found alone, asleep on the boat with his life jacket on. That poor baby. Oh, I can't. can't. An hour later, an hour after they realized they were missing. 
Josie told investigators he and his mom were swimming when she told him to get back on the boat. Police reports state that he recalled that she helped him climb back on the boat, but she couldn't get on the boat herself and then disappeared underwater. Oh my gosh. She also was not wearing a life jacket. And I'm not saying I have to shame her because I wouldn't be wearing a life jacket no, either. I yeah. can swim. I'm used right. to lakes and all sure. that. Just to make it clear, like, that if you go underwater and you're not in a life jacket, yeah. you don't just pop back up. Right. You know Correct. what I mean? Yeah. But the next day, the Ventura County Sheriff's Office announced that she was presumed dead and that the rescue efforts would shift to recovery efforts. That's always so heartbreaking when mm. they make those announcements. And I remember thinking at the time, like, someone did something to her. I don't know. It was right. just so weird. Well, on July 11th and 12th, her parents and stepfather, brother, ex-husband, and close friend and co-star Heather Morris joined the search team at the lake. And the sheriff's office dissuaded more civilians from trying to search because of the dangerous terrain. On July 13th, it was announced that a body had been found by divers in Lake Peru when the search resumed in the morning. The body was confirmed to be Naya Rivera's at a press conference held later that day. Since she was a good swimmer, the sheriff suggested she and Josie may have been caught up in a rip current, and she probably used all of her energy to save her son and yeah. to get him on the boat. Yeah. Ugh. On July 14th, the Ventura County Medical Examiner released an autopsy report stating that the cause of death was accidental, and there was no evidence of injury or intoxication. And this is a sad and strange coincidence. Her body was found on the anniversary of Corey Monteith's death seven years earlier. Oh, that's creepy. Mm-hmm. A memorial to Naya was constructed under the Lake Peru sign in the days after her death, and the lake remained closed to the public for a month, and then swimming became prohibited. So you can't swim there now. At all right. because of maybe rip currents or that's just what they guessed. They don't they still don't know. I didn't know rip currents could happen in lakes. I didn't to be honest. I've been in them in the ocean and they're scary. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I've also never been to this lake. Glee's creators, Ryan Murphy, Ian Brennan, and Brad Falchuk announced that they plan to start a college fund for Naya's son, Josie. So, outside of the tragic deaths of three major cast members, there were deaths among the crew as well. So, those are some that most people probably haven't heard about. Two members died of a heart attack, Jim Fuller, an assistant director, and a man named Paul who was in charge of props. In addition to Mark, there were two more deaths by suicide. Nancy Motes, a production assistant, and an unnamed rigger. The unnamed rigger's brother, J.A. Byerly, said, quote, On the rigging crew, you're constantly working daily. We don't win the Emmys, but we're the ones who make it happen. The intenseness of the show, I think, got to my brother. And I didn't know this, but Nancy Motes, who died by suicide, was Julia Roberts' half-sister. What? And there's a lot of tea to this. I had no idea. I didn't know that. Nancy was only 37 at the time of her suicide, which was a drug overdose. She doesn't look anything like Julia right. Roberts, but... Right. Yeah. She left a note, and the note was a lot. She wrote that Julia was so cruel that she drove her into the deepest depression that she's ever been in. 
She said her mother and so-called siblings should get nothing of hers if she died except the memory that she was pushed over the edge. So they had the same mother? Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know for some reason when you say like half sibling and they really, in my mind, I just thought maybe it was dad. Like maybe dad. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like remarried mm-hmm. or, and mm-hmm. had a child. Anyways. Yeah. I wasn't at all thinking. Yeah. We have the same mother. <laughs> yeah. Like They had the same mother, Betty Lou, but different fathers. Okay. Nancy's dad was Michael Motes and Julia's was the late Walter Grady Roberts. Yeah, so there was a lot of bad blood here. She said that Julia's abuse was so bad that she would burst into tears each day simply because she would wake up. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Her depression was that bad. Yeah, yeah. And we all have like mental health days where we're just fucking sad, you know, and everything sets you off and you think every one is against you. And I'm not saying to feel that daily. Yeah. I'm not saying Julie is innocent because I don't know that we don't know. But also at the same time, we don't know that Julia was actually cruel Mm -hmm. to her. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. And drugs were involved, which is awful, but things are distorted. I I mean, she could have been trying to help her because of the drugs and she took it as. I've dealt with family members who have had addiction and reality isn't always reality to them. Well, anyway, this note was filed in court papers in relation to the probate of Nancy's estate. And the note had three sections. One was addressed to her husband. She was married. I know it's heartbreaking. And one was addressed to her mom and Julia. And a third was addressed to everybody. Under the California law, the coroner is only required to give the pages to the person to whom they're addressed. John released it to the public, and the letter to him says that he was, quote, her one true love, and she told him she was unworthy of his affections. She begged for his forgiveness and said that she was nothing but a junkie and that he would be better off without her. Oh, I know. She wrote, I know this will affect you the most, and I can't apologize enough. Her mom and Julia did not add their notes to the court file, so they're private. I'm sure it was scathing. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But yeah, that's, I didn't, I had no idea about any of this. No, me I never, either. it didn't make it in. Julia must have a good publicist. Yeah, because I never, I never heard. heard about that. And then there was an eighth death. The main stand in for Matthew Morrison, named Mark Watson, died in a car fire. So curses aside, those are the facts. If you, you know, mm-hmm. watch the documentary if you want to know the hoodoo voodoo. That's interesting. But, If you or someone you may know may be contemplating suicide, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text HOME to 741-741 to reach the crisis text line. And of course, in emergencies, call 911 or seek care from a local hospital or mental health provider. And we'll link this up in our show notes. That's... The shortened version of it, I mean, you, I could get into the weeds even more, but that's the situation around Glee. I had no I idea. I had no idea. That's very interesting, and now I wish I would have watched it. You still can. No way. I don't know if it would hit the same <laughs> way. I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's hard for me to watch teen shows, even if well, they're right. allegedly really good shows. Right. Like, I, don't, I haven't watched Euphoria because I'm like, these are I teenagers. I started watching Euphoria. I watched literally like one and a half episodes, and I was like, this is kid porn. 
Yeah, like, exactly. It's teenagers I felt and titties. And I, know I, was, I mean, I know they're teens, not teenagers, but But yeah. they're portraying teens. And you're like, I'm like, that can't, this is a lot of sex and a lot of, no, that I'm a prude, but. No, but it's also like unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know where I'm like, this is, these are, teenagers no. are not sexy. No. I'm sorry. It's just like. <laughs> she has not one pimple on her face. That, I'm like, give me a no, break. No, no one I know knew in high school looked no. like that girl. No. Give me a freaking break. No. Like, I why didn't they set it in college at the minimum? Yeah. yeah. I think they should have done that. Yeah. So. Ask me for more, you know, more <laughs> of my opinions. That no one asked what yeah. we thought about Euphoria. It sounds like a sleet storm outside. It's really, Guys. I know. And I have to drive home and I'm like, surely it's not going to stick. I hope not. It seems awfully. Well, it's 39. It's not going to stick okay, right hopefully. now. It might tonight. Yeah. I'll have to zoom on out of here. Um, I have one more. Okie doke. Anna Walsh. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. That's very, very that's a buzz in yeah, the headlines. Yeah. So she's the 39-year-old mother of three who was reported missing on January 4th by one of her coworkers. There was a sweeping two-day search of the small coastal town of Cohasset, Massachusetts. I probably did not pronounce that correctly. Where she lived with her husband and three little boys. But there was no sign of her. Mm. Anna worked as a real estate agent. She was a brilliant businesswoman and, most importantly, super mom. Her friends have been quoted as saying. Mm -hmm. Friends and coworkers said she never really talked about her husband or home life. Personal stuff was personal. And no one really saw any indication of any trouble at home. Anna would travel from Massachusetts to D.C. during the week for her job and return home on the weekends. I find that amazing that she could do that with three little kids because it's hard just to work yeah. 45 minutes away from home and be home every night when you have kids. So police began asking the husband about his actions and whereabouts on the days prior to her disappearance. He lied to police. He said he last saw his wife the morning of January 1st. When she told him she needed to fly to Washington, D.C. for a work emergency, so she was leaving early, like earlier, like a few days earlier than she right, typically right, right. would have. He said Anna got ready, kissed him goodbye, and took a ride share to the airport, so Uber, Lyft, or whatever. He visited his mother's home that afternoon and ran a few errands for her. Investigators found no evidence of Anna taking any ride share in her phone rang near her house on January 1st and 2nd. So her phone was there at the house. Investigators found some new information to suspicions that Anna is in fact deceased and not missing. Her husband's internet searches on his cell phone and his son's iPad showed searches for how to dispose of a 115-pound woman. Why? Okay. How to dismember a body. How to mask the smell of a decomposing body and how to clean up blood. And can you be charged with murder without a body? I'm glad people are dumb when it comes to this, but duh. <sighs> Girl. Prosecutors God. say blood and a bloodied knife were found in the couple's basement. Ugh. He made several unapproved trips to Home Depot the week of his wife's disappearance he is seen on surveillance video wearing a surgical mask and paying cash, buying cleaning supplies and a bucket and tarp. So all the stuff that he bought totaled like $450. So he brought, bought a bunch of shit. 
And I say several unapproved trips because he was under house arrest because he had basically sold some fake paintings. What? Yes. (laughs) So he was under house arrest until all that stuff was settled. So anyways. Lord have mercy. Brian Walsh, 47, is described by family and friends. Friends loosely, I use that term. As an angry and dishonest person. Oh, his family as well? Oh, he swindled God. money from his late father, Dr. Thomas Walsh. Oh. Brian had been disinherited during a 2019 dispute over his father's estate. Oh, my gosh. Dr. Walsh bequeathed his son only his best wishes and nothing else in his will. His father was the head of the neurology. Neurology Division at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston for over a decade before he passed away in 2018. Brian suggested that his father's signature was possibly forged on the will. So he created a whole stink saying that there's no way that my dad would have done this, mm-hmm. even though they had a falling out and hadn't spoken in 10 years before he passed. No, it actually makes a lot of actually, sense. Yes. Close friends of the family said Brian was diagnosed as a sociopath and had been a long-term patient at Austin Riggs Center, a psychiatric hospital in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. This facility provides treatment with intensive psychodynamic and psychotherapy four times a week. Brian is a very angry and physically violent person, alleges a longtime friend of the family, this is what caused the estrangement between him and his late father. Holy crap. So he sounds like he was a ticking time bomb. Uh, yeah. And he was seeking professional help at a There's not a institution. whole lot yeah. you can do when you're a sociopath. Right. It's not like it's there's a medication. Right. It's like it's a yeah. personality yeah. issue. Yeah. And just changing yeah. small personality problems yeah. is hard. Yeah. Imagine having no empathy. How do you just have empathy? So he has been charged with murder, improper transport of a body, and misleading a police investigation. Authorities have not released any information as to the whereabouts of Anna's body. Oh, my God. Prosecutors say Brian allegedly dumped bags containing his wife's dismembered body and other evidence in Abington, Massachusetts. He was captured on surveillance. Police have been combing through trash transfer stations and combing through dump trucks of garbage, sorting materials onto a tarp. They found a blood-soaked rag, hacksaw, and hatchet, towels, rags, slippers, tape, pillows, cleaning agents, carpets, and rugs. It is believed that Anna's remains ended up in multiple transfer stations across eastern Massachusetts, some possibly incinerated or destroyed. Ten bags of evidence total were found at one dump site, including Anna's COVID-19 vaccine card, a necklace she was known for wearing, and many other items that had blood on them Mm. that were connected to the Walshes through DNA. Brian entered a non-guilty plea and is being held without bail. A lot of people like myself, think this is an open and closed case, but his attorneys argued that there are holes in the prosecution's case. The timelines don't add up, leading to Anna's disappearance or the events that followed. They say all of this is pure circumstantial. There's no direct evidence and nobody saw her being killed. 
There's no physical body and not really any physical evidence other than some blood and her personal items. Yet. Yet. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) The couple married in 2015 and have three sons together, ages two, four, and six, who are in custody of the Massachusetts Department of Children and Family Services. Anna's family lives in Serbia. So she was an immigrant and worked at a hotel and met this wealthy man and thought she they was can be charming. Getting, That's the worst yeah, part. Especially a sociopath. Yeah. Even though his family's like, no, he's an awful. He's an asshole. He's right. blah, blah, blah. He could right. swoop her off her feet. Well, I mean, if he, he hasn't had anything to do with his dad in the 10 years prior to his death, he wasn't having anything to do with his family when they met and married. So yeah. she... Probably bought all of this hook, line, and sinker and and married. I I mean, she was an immigrant. And now they have these three little boys. And I can't. It just, it's, it's, again, this is very new and up, up and Yeah, it is. There's going to be more that comes out, I'm sure. Wow. That's a lot. There's been a lot happening. And I also wanted to say, if you're a patron, because this is the Patreon episode, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or you have a good theme or whatever for any month, doesn't have to be next month, you can either comment on the Facebook group or email us at unitedstatesofmurder at gmail.com. We want to get more activity going on the Facebook group, but we don't know what to post. So yeah. tell us. <laughs> tell us. Give we us don't know. What are ideas? I mean, we don't have to keep it specifically true crime. Maybe we can one day a week. I want to. Here's, I, I need some. We um, need to talk about wacky stuff on wacky there. Stuff. I mean, let's just. I like, don't know. I want to know about survival stories. Anything. Crazy anything. dating stories. Mm-hmm. Like anything that is your wacky. Yeah. I, lo- I love all that. I want to. We love the emails, especially when I don't have a wacky story to share and I can easily just read off something. Yes. <laughs> but thank you to everyone who is new here. It's exciting. And um, maybe give us some ideas about February. Mm-hmm. Give us some fucked up dating stories. Yes, you have that, plenty of time. That give is us, what. Give us. <coughs> Lacey has kennel cough. <laughs> she got it from her dog. I swear <laughs> to you. That's why how you chipped your front tooth. You coughed it out. <laughs> and, and then I catch caught it, and, and that's when I got it. the planners that's fasciitis. It. There you and, go. Yeah, some, yeah, tell us bad love stories. The we worst know. Valentine's Day you we ever had. We want bad love. So, anyways, yeah. it's right. sleeting its balls off outside. I'm going to skiddly-bop home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, till next month. Bye. Bye.